Hey, fellow Mathers, before we get into this episode, we want to share with you how you can get access to free content, professional learning that will keep your students engaged and doing the math that matters. Get ready to go to this link, mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. That's right. Registration is open for the free Math is Figure Outable challenge that's starting May 15th and runs to the 17th at 7 p.m. Central. We're going to have three nights jam-packed with learning and routines that you can take straight to your classroom. In these challenges, we have a great time. We do some math, talk about classroom experiences, give away super cool bonuses and prizes. You won't just walk away with routines that are naturally engaging and encourage your students to think mathematically. You'll also have a chance to win over 6 k worth in prizes, including a few virtual PD sessions for your school. I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host, Kim, and special guest, Jenna Labe. You can register at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Now on to the show. Hey, everybody. Just a quick announcement that I will be doing some Facebook Lives in the next couple of weeks all about remote learning and multiplication. I'll share some ideas for teaching multiplication and multiplication facts remotely. So check out my Facebook page, Pam Harris, author, mathematics education, and tune in on Thursday, August 20th at 7 p.m., Tuesday, August 25th at 7 p.m. Central Time, Thursday, August 27th at 7 p.m. Central Time, and the last one on Tuesday, September 1st at 7 p.m. Central Time. All about remote teaching and multiplication. See you there. Hey, fellow mathematicians, welcome to the podcast where math is figure outable. I'm Pam. And I'm Kim. And we answer the question if not algorithms, then what in the world are we supposed to teach? <laughs> hey, Pam, before we start for today, remember how we asked listeners to share a mathy thing that one of their friends does? Mm hmm. All right, we got a couple of responses and I want to share one with you. So, Robin White from Pine Tree said that she's got a friend named Clay Nival. And he messes with numbers a lot. So she shared two things that he does that she thinks maybe not everyone thinks about. One of them is that when he adds numbers like, say, 241 and 316, he thinks about 24 tens plus 31 tens to get 55 tens or 550. And then he adds the ones to that. Isn't that cool? It is kind of cool. And so y'all, you might want to get a pencil and write those numbers down. Like he, so she, he was thinking about 241 uh -huh. and 300, 316. Yep. But instead of thinking about 200 and 300, he was thinking about that 241 is 24 tens with the one left over. 316 is 31 tens with the six left over. And what did he do with those tens again? He just added the tens together. Because 24 tens and 31 yeah. tens, he can get 55 tens. So he knows that's 550 and then he just tacks on the ones. That's pretty cool. This that's great cool. place value, right? Cool. So, so what's the other one? She also said that um, they had a conversation where he sometimes just comes up with an idea and then finds a lot of examples to test his theory to prove or disprove it. It's kind of like the Wonder Game. So he just, ah. something will pop in his head and um, he just runs through a bunch of numbers to just see if his theory is correct or not. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. So shout out to Clay and thanks Robin for suggesting Clay. So if you have uh, someone you'd like to shout out that does some mathy things, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So send them on and then we'll give a shout out to your friend. 
All right, so we have some other exciting news. We've just posted video of problem strings on Yay. the website. Woo! So you may know that my favorite instructional routine is called problem strings because it is the coolest ever. It's the least used out there, but it's so powerful as, as a way of helping construct relationships in the learner's head. So you've been asking for video of real teachers and real kids, and we have made it happen. So head on over to the blog at mathisfreeaddable.com. Not only do we have the video posted, but we're also posting whole write-ups with teacher instructions so you can facilitate those strings in your own classroom. Very exciting, and we're thrilled to be putting that out. Yeah, it's going to be such a great resource. Okay, so on to today's episode. Today, Pamela, we are talking about <laughs> the ever-confusing models and strategies. It's not a new topic, right? There's been a lot of conversation around this topic. I mean, so you say it's not a new topic. It's not for us. We've been talking about it for a while, but often when we meet teachers, uh, it's, it's, it's something that they really haven't thought about. Um, we've been posting for a while on social media, uh, some graphics that ask people, you might've seen them on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, but ask people whether the examples they see are two models, two strategies, one of each. And what we found is that not only are parents confused about the difference between a model and a strategy, lots of teachers are too. Um, even though the standards call for different models and strategies, we've got a lot of confusion out there about the difference between them and how we can use them to better teach real math. So how can we help teachers and parents? Yeah. So in today's podcast, we're going to define models and strategies and let's start there. And then we'll talk uh, a bit more about how um, we can use them better. So sure. let's start with definitions. So first of all, Kim, what is a strategy? Okay. Right. So a strategy is going to be the way that you mess with numbers. It's how you solve the problem, the relationships that you use in your head. Okay. So if a strategy is how you mess with the numbers, then what's a model? The model is the way that you represent those relationships that you've used. It's a way to represent to others what's happening in your head so that you can communicate the mathematics. It's kind of the picture of what's going sure. on. Yeah. All right. So we'll do a podcast later on the word model in math because there are a lot of different ways that word is used. But today, to parse out the difference between strategy and model, we're going to really focus that the strategy is how you mess with the numbers. And the, w the way we're talking about model today is that it's what your strategy looks like, the way you've represented how you mess with the numbers. And I think what's so confusing for so many people is that given a problem, you can solve it with a few different strategies. And each of those strategies can be represented with a couple different models. And so it's kind of like, what, what's going on? Yeah, exactly. So let's give some examples. Sure. For example, if you're going to solve an addition problem and y'all, if you want to get a pa paper and pencil out to sort of follow along with the relationships, this might be a time to do it. So if you're solving an addition problem like 48 plus 36, 48 plus 36, you could, in fact, you might want to pause the podcast and actually solve 48 plus 36 and then come back and hear some strat some different strategies. We always like to have people mess with the numbers before we ever superimpose someone else's strategy. So so for the problem, 48 plus 36, you could think of the strategy that we describe as add a friendly number. You could start with the 48 and say to yourself, instead of adding the 36, I'm just going to add a friendly 30. So 48 and 30, that's 78. And now I've still got that six hanging around. So 78 and that six, let's see, that's 80, 84. 
So you could think about that 48 plus 36 as adding that friendly 30 first. That's the strategy, add a friendly number. I can say that with words. I can write it with equations. I can represent the relationship on an open number line, which is the one we prefer, especially with beginning learners, because that open number line is so nice to show those relationships. It makes that thinking really visible. What would that look like? With the strategy I just used, I'd write down the 48, and then I would draw a big jump of 30, and I would write down that we got to 78, right? And then I would say, okay, I still have that leftover six, and so then I might add the two to get to 80, and then the leftover four to get to 84. But the big, the big point of that strategy is that we added a friendly number, and the model that we used was an open number line. Sure, but you could also solve that problem 48 and 36 by using something that we call get to a friendly number, right? That's how I'm thinking about mm-hmm. it. So like 48 plus just a little two would get you to a friendly 50, and then you still have 34 left to add. So now you're adding 50 and 34 to get to that final 84. Mm-hmm. That strategy that I'm thinking about is called get to a friendly number. And again, I could model that with equations or on an open number line. And my open number line would actually look different than yours because I would still start at 48, make a little bitty jump of two to get to 50, and then a big jump of 34. Your way of thinking could be represented on two models, and my way of thinking could be represented on those two models, but we're thinking about the numbers differently. And when you say way of thinking, that's strategy. Right. Yep. So what I'm realizing is that there are a ton of people who mess with numbers. They, they really do use a variety of strategies in their real life, mm-hmm. um, but they don't necessarily model that for others, right? My husband's a builder and he has great relationship with numbers because he does a lot with number, but he doesn't represent those on a number line. It would be all equations if he were asked to record something. Yeah, and he doesn't probably do either. He probably just does the use the relationship as you and he probably doesn't use either. He probably just uses the relationships in his head, gets the answer he needs, and moves on. But in a math class, we want to communicate our thinking to others, and that's where the modeling comes in. Let's let's do a multiplication example. Okay, how about um, sixteen times nine? Okay, I might think about that as ten times nine and six times nine. And I could represent that with equations, right? Or on a ratio table or on an open array. So my strategy would be 10 times nine plus six times nine. So you're breaking up the 16 Mm -hmm. into 10 and six, okay. And I could represent those on an equation model, a ratio table model, or an open array. And Mm -hmm. on the open array, which is gonna maybe be my choice, I might look, Um, at that as a 10 by nine and then a six by nine put together to make that 16 by nine rectangle. And then you can add the areas of each of the small rectangles together to get the area of the big rectangle. Um, While a different kid might think about the 16 by nine as 16 by 10 and get rid of the extra 16. That, That would look like a set of equations or entries on a ratio table or a big array where you hack off part of it. So again, a different strategy, but the same models, but those models might look a little different because it's a different strategy. Yeah. And so you described um, two strategies, uh, sort of where you kind of chunk two smaller areas together was one strategy. And uh, the other strategy is where you found a bigger area and kind of hacked off the extra that you had. 
those are two different strategies and you were describing them um, on what on a rectangle uh, uh, an area model um, which is a really in, uh, nice way to sort of integrate multiplication and area and dimensions and factors and the area with the product and so that's one of the reasons we like to use um, the area model or the rectangular array is that it brings those all together but it also makes the thinking visible which is the power of modeling and we'll get into more detail about this later but i wanted to mention if you are doing those rectangular arrays those those area models then those rectangles should try to at least be somewhat proportional like don't make a 16 by 9 rectangle look like a square no don't do that um because uh, that's bringing sort of in proportional reasoning that teachers should have that rectangles should look like rectangles squares should look like squares um part of the power of that model is that students can develop spatial sense but if we're not actually representing them correctly or at least somewhat correctly that spatial sense goes out the window and it becomes just another set of steps for kids to memorize so we really want to represent rectangles as rectangles somewhat proportional to, to what they really are. Sure. That's a really, really good point. So we um, started with some numeracy examples. Talk to me a little bit about a high school example. All right. So a high school example of what strategies are versus what models are could be that often we ask kids to find the equation of a line given some data. So they've got some numbers, some data, and we say, if um, if you were going to fit a line to this data, then how could you find, uh, what would the equation be of that line? So one way that students might use data to find the equation of a line that would fit that data is they might find the rate of change, and then they might walk back that rate from a given point until they find the y-intercept. They might choose a friendly point, the rate that they found, and then walk it back one at a time, because it's a unit rate, until they get the y-intercept. And now that they have the rate and the y-intercept, they can write the equation of a line. But a student might do that in a table, or mm. they might do that on a graph. Two different models, but they're using the same strategy of using the unit rate from a given point to walk back to the y-intercept. That strategy is a unit rate strategy, and the model could be a table or a graph. Now, a different strategy might be that a student might find that um, rate using that data, but they might find a non-unit rate. Say they might say the, the kid was traveling six feet in two seconds, and instead of simplifying that to three feet per one second and using that and going back by one second every time, they might go back two seconds and six feet all in one fell swoop. They might use that non-unit rate. And then that way they're jumping to the y-intercept even faster. That's a bit more sophisticated, a bit more efficient. So that strategy, we could we could talk about that strategy as a non-unit rate strategy. And that student could use either model. They could represent their strategy on a table. They could represent their strategy on a graph. A third strategy that we've seen students use when they've been given data to write the equation of a line is that they might say, uh, they might find that rate of change again. And then once they have that rate of change, they might say, all right, so if the kid was <clears throat> walking at a rate of two feet per second, so say that, that that's the data, the kid's walking and we've got time and distance data. If the kid was walking at a rate of two feet per second, I can think about that line, y equals 2x and I can, or y equals 2t. And I can think about that line, but I know that it needs to go through these points. So how high up would I have to shift that line so I sort of start with the rate of change and I think about the line that would have that blanket rate of change. How high would I have to shift that line to be able to go through most of those points? That's sort of a transformation approach. Their strategy is to think about transforming that rate of change line to go through the points. It's kind of, we would call that a transformation strategy. Well, they could think about that 
most of the time we see kids thinking about that on a graph, but they could think about that in a table, two different models, a table or a graph for three different strategies, a unit rate strategy a non-unit rate strategy or a transformation strategy, all to find the same equation of a line. So, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you share a little bit and I'm thinking about how um, we're really just honoring the way that kids think about things. Yeah. Just their own approach to solving mathematics. Okay. So we defined model and strategy and you and I are clear that a problem can be solved with different strategies. And then also they can be recorded with different models. So I'm going to ask you a big question now. Okay. Which of those is more important? Which should teachers and parents be more concerned with strategies or models? So in a nutshell, if you force me to answer this question, um, teachers should care Mm -hmm. about both. But if I have to make a choice, it's more about strategy. Like you just told us earlier about your husband who has some strategy. That's so important. He's not just mimicking a bunch of steps, regurgitating a procedure that he learned. Like he's got some ways of dealing with relationships. That's so important. Now, if he was my student, ideally I would want to build on that. I would want to represent what he was doing in such a way that he could then build other strategies that that would just help him gain more relationships and, and have a more dense brain structure. So models can help bring the thinking forward, make it visible so more students can pick up on that particular strategy. More students get more dense. They own more relationships. But it's those relationships, that's the strategy. So models are important in communicating what the strategies are doing. It's kind of like that models aren't going to do us a lot of good if we don't have a variety of strategies. Yeah, totally. The thing that we do in our heads, the strategy, the way that we represent it can totally take longer than doing it in our heads. So of course it might take longer to put it on paper. You might've seen some social media stuff that's sort of poking out, like, why are we doing this new math stuff? Look how long it takes. But in reality, it might not have taken very long to do in your head at all. It just takes longer to put it on paper. But part of mathematizing and mathematics is community and it's communicating our thinking posing solution strategies and defending our choices. Oh my gosh. The social media stuff just makes me crazy, right? When they make fun of how long it takes to represent your thinking. I, I want to yell at the screen and go, of course it takes time to communicate, but what's going on in my head is so much quicker. So when you ask a student, how did you solve that? And you hear a student say, mm, I did a number line. I did an array. This shows that the student is thinks we mean the model, not the way they're thinking, the strategy. So we can help this confusion by pushing back and saying, oh, I see your number line. I see your array. But but what did you do with the numbers? How did you use the number line? How did you use the array? How did you mess with the relationships? Let me help you represent that if need be, if they if they need to help it. But it's it's focusing on not that you did a number line, but how did you use the number line? Not that you did an array, but how did you use the array? Mm. It's a little challenging to talk about strategies and models without having some visuals, but we wanted to start the conversation here. Right. If you want to learn more, you can check out the blog on Pam's website, mathisfigureoutable.com, for a blog on strategies versus models. And if you're a leader helping teachers, you will especially want to check out our card sorts that help clarify the difference between a variety of strategies and models. Please join us on Wednesday on your favorite social media for Math Strat Chat to talk about models and strategies with other teachers and parents. And also, if you'll like our podcast and give us a review, that would be fantastic. So thanks for joining us today. We've had a lot of fun talking about models and strategies. 
If you're interested to learn more math and you want to help students develop as mathematicians, then the Math is Figure Outable podcast is for you because math is figure outable. Thank you for listening and making math more figure outable. To learn even more, make sure you register for our free challenge at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Central. Math teaching, math teaching, go register now. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figure outable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.